Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. But he called her Sarai's maid. So in verse 8, by calling Hagar Sarah's maid and not calling her Abraham's wife, the angel of the Lord is causing Hagar to see her rebellion. And in verse 8, by calling her Hagar Sarah's maid and not Abraham's wife, the angel of God is bringing Hagar back to her place. And in verse 8, by calling her Sarah's maid and not Abraham's wife, the angel of God in goodness is leading her to repentance. And so what we see here is a beautiful picture of conversion, more of the picture of conversion. Just as the angel of God here with Sarah, with Hagar, in goodness is we see the angel of God leading Hagar to repentance, to see her rebellion So in conversion, the Holy Spirit in goodness led us, he led us to repentance to see our rebellion against God. And just as the angel of God here brought Hagar back to her place of being the humble, where she should be, the humble, submissive maid to Sarah, so in conversion, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, brings us back to seeing ourselves as a sinner before a holy God and in great need of salvation and great need of forgiveness. Now, verse eight, we see the angel of God ask Hagar now two important questions. And the first question that he asks Hagar is, whence camest thou? Whence camest thou? That's question number one. And the second question that he asks Hagar is, whither wilt thou go? Whither wilt thou go? Now, you know, this is God speaking here, so he obviously knew where she came from. He knew where she was going. So, I mean, you know, the fact that he's asking these questions is rhetorical. Remember, Eddie tried to teach us the other day about rhetorical. But anyway, it's about this rhetorical question. In other words, when Hagar hears that question, Hagar knew that her answer should have been and really was, I came from Abraham's house. The first question, I came from Abraham's house. In Abraham's house, I had food, I had the knowledge of God. So I came from the place of food, I came from the place of the knowledge of God. In Abraham's house, I was blessed. I came from the place of blessing. That was her answer. And Hagar's answer, it should have been that. But in the second question, whither wilt thou go? He was asking Hagar, where are you going? Where are you going? Where do you think that you're going to end up? Where are you going next, Hagar? You're going next to a life of more rebellion? Where are you going next, Hagar? You're gonna go to a life of more guilt? Where are you going next, Hagar? You're going to a life of more sorrow, more depression? That's where you're going, Hagar? Face it. See, these two questions were really face-it questions. So these two simple questions being the face-it questions were soul-searching questions for Hagar as they brought Hagar to the end of herself. Look where you left. Where do you think you're going? And these two simple questions are a picture of the conversion process for a lost soul. These are the two questions, so very simple. Where have I come from? Where am I going? The Lord Jesus Christ told the history of the man who had a son who rebelled, and the son rebelled, and the son ruined his life, and the son repented, and the son was converted, and the history of his conversion, 
there were these two questions, these same two questions that he asked himself. And those two questions caused him to convert. And the picture of that son asking him those two questions is the picture that the Lord Jesus Christ gave of conversion in Luke 15, 13 through 19, which is the history of the prodigal son. And what it says is that he took his journey to a far country, he wasted substance, and he spent all, and there was a big famine, and he began to be in want, and he ends up feeding swine, quite undignified for a Jewish person, but anyway, and he would have filled himself with the swine ate, but nobody gave him any food. And then it says in verse 17, when he came to himself, and it's interesting, when he comes to himself, he talks to himself and he asks him essentially two questions. He said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, say to my father, father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. Just like Hagar, this prodigal son left home in rebellion. Just like Hagar, this prodigal son found himself at the end of his own resources, desperate, not knowing what to do. Just like Hagar, this prodigal son asked two questions, and it was those two questions that caused him to repent when he comes to himself. He came to himself. He asked the first question, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare. And where have I come from? I've come from a house of blessing. And when he came to himself, he answered the second question by saying, where am I going? That was the second question. And he said, I perish with hunger. I'm going to perish with hunger. So he answers the second question. Where am I going? I'm going to perish with hunger. Where has a lost person come from? Maybe the lost person has come from a Christian home. And now he's in college, and it's time for him to be free from all those religious constraints that just bound him, and now he can break out. Maybe the lost person has come from hearing a Christian witness. A faithful Christian has told him about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's time for him to leave that witness and to enjoy the world, not to be under bondage as he would see it. But the lost person is on the road to conversion when he realizes the answer to the question, I came from something better than I'm in now, and where am I going to disaster? I'm going to an eternity without God. And for any lost person to be saved, he's got to deal with these two vital questions that Hagar was asked. Where are you coming from? What are you running away from? And where are you going? How can this life without God end in anything except disaster? Now we see how Hagar responds to the two questions in verse 8. And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress. Her answer really didn't answer the two questions. I mean, her answer should have been, you know, I rebelled and I left the house of blessing. I didn't know where I'm going. I'm afraid of where I'm going. And, but instead, what she says here, she gives an answer that kind of leans toward justifying her rebellion. When she says, I fled from the face of my mistress, Sarai. So Hagar is explaining why she left, why she's there. Now, that's another picture of a lost person. A lost person resists taking responsibility for a sin. And instead, he likes to talk about why he sinned. And so from Genesis 3, Adam resists taking responsibility for a sin. And he says that it's the woman's fault why he sinned. And in Genesis 3, Eve resists saying, I have sinned, and instead she says it's the serpent's fault. But the clear path to conversion are the words of the prodigal son where he said, Father, I have sinned. Those simple words, I have sinned, they're so liberating. You know, no more of the who made me do it stuff, but they're just so liberating because they open the doors of God's forgiveness. Anything short of those words, I have sinned, 
and the doors stay closed. Now, the last vital question has to be, because there's the third vital question, which isn't asked, but that's the one that's the vital one is, how do I get back? All right, so this is where I've left, and now this is where I am. How do I get back? What do I need to do? And in verse 9, we see the angel of the Lord gave to Hagar the answer to the vital question, how do I get back, with instructions where it says in verse 9, the angel of the Lord said unto her, return to thy mistress, submit thyself to her hands. So the angel says to Hagar, return to thy mistress. The angel did not say to Hagar, return to Abraham. The angel told Hagar, submit yourself under Sarah's hands. The angel did not say to Hagar, just put up with the harsh treatment of your mistress. But what did it mean when the angel said to Hagar to submit to Sarah? What was Hagar supposed to do? To understand exactly what the angel was telling Hagar, we need to look at the Hebrew word that was used for the word submit here. The Hebrew word that's used for the word submit is the word ana which it means to bow, it means to be humbled. Anna is the word that was actually used in many places, but is used for the forceful, humiliating rapes of Tamar and Dinah in Genesis and is is humbling. The meaning of this word Anna becomes fleshed out when you see that Anna was in verse nine here, which is translated submit, is the same Hebrew word that's used in verse six, which was translated hardly. So Genesis 16.6 says, and when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. We already have talked about uh, Sarah and how she treated Hagar. So Anna is the word that describes how Sarah was treating Hagar. Sarah was dealing Anna with Hagar. She was dealing harshly. In other words, Sarah's harsh treatment was designed to make Hagar bow. It was designed to make Hagar humble. And that's the same Hebrew word Anna, that's used twice in Isaiah 53 when it describes what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ when he was being tortured to death for our sins. And in both cases, the, both, the, both cases, the word Anna it was, was translated afflict or afflicted. And it says in Isaiah 53, 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and Anna, afflicted. And in that verse, we saw the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ is atoning for our sins. He's bearing our griefs. He's carrying our sorrows. He's being beaten. And the word used to describe everything that he's going through and enduring is the word ana, afflicted. And he's being pushed down. He's being bowed down. He's being humbled. And this verse described in Isaiah 53, 4, describes what was happening to him. The other verse in Isaiah 53 is verse 7, where it says, he was oppressed and he was ana, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. So whereas verse 4 in Isaiah 53 described what was being done to him with the word ana, verse 7 in Isaiah 53 describes his response of what is being done to him with the word Anna. So, in other words, the verse says that he was being oppressed and he was being afflicted, Anad. And his response of being Anad, or pushed down, or made low, or humbled, was that he didn't open his mouth. And twice it was repeated there in Isaiah 53, 7, that his response was not to protest, not to threaten, not to warn, not to revile, as it says in 1 Peter 2, 23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, 
when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. So in his sufferings for our sins, when the Lord Jesus Christ was being honored or pushed down or humbled, he submitted. He submitted himself, just like what the angel was asking her to do. Anna, to submit yourself to Sarah. So in verse 9, when the angel told Hagar to Anna herself, under Sarah's hands, to submit herself under Sarah's hands, fleshed out when we think of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are hard words for Hagar to hear. Those are hard words. Hagar just run away from an intolerable circumstances. So now for God to tell Hagar to return to those circumstances and submit, that's a hard words for her to hear. And the angel was saying to Hagar, listen, this is the way, rebellious Hagar, for you to return to Sarah and willingly submit yourself, Anna, under Sarah's hands, just like the Lord Jesus Christ submitted himself, Anna, under the hands of his torturers. And that instruction is again a picture of conversion because our hearts are rebellious. In rebellion, we loudly sing Frank Sinatra's song, you know, I did it my way. When we were lost, we rebelliously sung, you know, I did it my way, I'm doing it my way, I'm gonna do it my way. And that's the song of the lost, and that's not the song of the saved. The song of the saved is, I did it God's way, I am doing it God's way, I will do it God's way. And Hagar, in order for her to be converted, had to return to Sarah, had to submit herself under Sarah's hands, and the way back for Hagar was for Hagar to submit herself under Sarah's hand. That was God's appointed way. Sarah was God's appointed tool for Hagar to remove the rebellion from her heart. And when rebellious Hagar heard God's instructions for what she needed to do, the broken, rebellious Hagar was faced with a choice. And Hagar could recognize that God loved her and wanted to remove the rebellion out of her. She could choose to no longer see her situation horizontally as just between two persons, Hagar and Sarah, And she could choose to just have it that way and just say the relationship went bad. Or she could choose to see a triangle, a triangle of three persons. And in this, this, God is here in the top, and then there is Hagar and Sarah. And she could choose to see God is using Sarah to humble me, to remove my rebellion, to correct me. But that was her choice. And Hagar, when she heard God say, return to Sarah, submit yourself under her hand, she could have said, no way. Sarah's not fair. Sarah has no right to treat me that way. I deserve better treatment than that. I'll retain my rebellion. I'm not going to change. So we see Hagar here. She's at this crossroads of decision, which is a crossroads for any person who's rebellious. Rebellion is at the heart of the lost. And for a person to be converted, he must be willing to obey 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. For a lost person to be converted, it's not a simple case of praying 1, 2, 3, repeat after me. The lost finds himself standing with Hagar at the same crossroads, and the lost has to make the decision to return and to submit to that boss to submit to that parent, to submit to that spouse, to submit to that elder, to submit to that pastor, which are all the mighty hands of God. Because rebellion is also the plague of believers that continues to try and take over the heart of believers. And when God sees the rebellions in the heart of the believer, he brings in these mighty hands. And the believer finds himself also standing at the same crossroads next to Hagar and having to make a decision. And to say to God, 
I will let you put to death my rebellion, and I'll return, and I'll submit to that boss, to that parent, to that spouse, to that elder, to that pastor, because God, I don't see that boss and that parent, that spouse, that elder, that pastor. All I see is the mighty hand of God, and I want to please God. I want to humble myself, or a lost person or a believer can go down the other road and say, I won't take it. I have my rights. I'll fight. Watch me. I will walk in and I'll say to my boss's face, I don't have to take this from you. I quit. I'll say to my parent, I don't have to live under these conditions. I'm out of here. I'll say to my spouse, that's it. I've had enough. I divorce you. I'll say to my pastor elder, I'm finished here. I'm going to another church. And all that quitting, leaving, divorcing, church hopping is getting out from under God's mighty hand and not letting God do his honor work, not letting God do his humbling work. And when the rebel says to his or her boss, parent, spouse, elder, or pastor, get away from me, that person is effectively saying to God, get your hands off me. And every person who comes with Hagar and stands at this crossroad of choice is sees my rebellion and pride down one road or God's way and submission and humility down the other road. And it's really easy for us to say, yeah, that's right. That goes for my employees. And that goes for my kids. And that goes for my spouse. And that goes for this person in my church. And God's saying, no, that goes for you. (laughs) And the crossroads that Hagar was at should make all of us take a little look at ourselves. And as I look at myself, And if taking a deep breath, you know, just going like, if taking a deep breath symbolizes saying there's nothing wrong with me, it's only others, then all of us need to take short breaths, you know, and examine ourselves. Because as hard as these words are for Hagar to hear that she should return to Sarah and submit to Sarah, those words of God to Hagar to return and submit to Sarah were also very encouraging to her. Why? Because Hagar knew she was, she needed correction. Hagar knew she was a sinner. Hagar knew she was a rebel. Hagar knew that she could only go so long before her rebellion landed her on the pile of disaster. And now, with no way forward, staying by this well in the desert, hoping that Abraham's going to come who's not coming, she knew that she was being chastened by God. And as Hagar sat there by the well, she thought about her situation, and Hagar had time to reflect by that well about her rebellion, and she knew she needed the correction. She was to know how to do it. And so as Hagar thought about God's instruction for her to return and go submit to Sarah, Hagar saw that God cared about her rebellion problem. And Hagar could see she needed correction, and she thought about God's word to return, and she could see how God wanted to correct her rebellion. And Hagar knew she needed correction. She thought about God's word to return. Hagar could see God's love for her. And that time by the well was very valuable for Hagar. She saw she needed the correction. She thought about how God's word to return submit. And so she saw the truth of Proverbs 3.12. Whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Whom he loveth, he correcteth. Even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. And there in the quietness, Hagar makes her decision by a fountain of water in the wilderness. She makes her decision to see Sarah's treatment as the love of God for her. She makes her decision to return and to follow God. Wonderful. And she sees Sarah as the mighty hand of God. She says, I will let God anami. I will let God humble me. I will let God correct the rebellion. And she makes her decision. And he says, don't go back to Abraham. You go back to Sarah. And so she does that. She submits. And when she does that, she had the hardest thing she's ever had to do in her life. Because she had to go back, look Sarah in the eyes, and say, Sarah, 
I was wrong to have viewed myself as Abraham's wife, as your husband's wife. I was wrong to have despised you. I was wrong to have viewed myself anything more than just a submissive maid to you. And then Hagar had to say to her, I'm sorry for what I've done and for causing this trouble in your home. And Hagar had to say to Sarah she would submit herself to Sarah and never be anything more than the maid. And she did it. She did that. She humbled herself and she responded, good for Hagar. Good for Hagar. And we should be saying in our heart, good for Hagar. But, you know, we should resist saying, but never for me. (laughs) Okay, now, here's one thing. When we think back over this history, and God, there's four, you know, Sarah, Abraham, Hagar, and God. It's amazing to see how God didn't just throw up his arms in disgust with it all. I mean, God could have said to Sarah, I brought you and Abraham together as one man and one wife to have God-honoring family together. How could you have done something so stupid as to give up your honored place of being and give to Abraham another wife and threaten the destruction of your family? I'm finished with you, Sarah. God could have said to Abraham, I brought you and Sarah together as one husband, one wife to have God-honoring family together. I promise to you over and over again that I would bless the union of you and Sarah with a child. I did the covenant ceremony. I walked alone to the cut-up animals to prove to you that you were going to have a child with Sarah. How could you have done something so stupid and listened to Sarah, who you knew was telling you to go directly against what I commanded you to do, which was to wait for a child between you and Sarah? You are the head of the house. You are responsible for what happened. After all the time we spent together, after all the deliverances from Pharaoh and the kings, after all the provisions I've done for you, is this the thanks I get from you? I'm finished with you, Abraham. He could have done that. He could have said to Hagar, I brought you into Abraham's house as a maid to Sarah. I brought you out of Egypt, the place of pagan idols, into the knowledge of the true God in Abraham's house. I saved you from a destiny of hell which was your destiny in Egypt, by coming into Abraham's house, coming into the knowledge of God, atonement. I opened the door for you to have a destiny of heaven in Abraham's house. You knew that I had promised to Abraham and Sarah to have a son and heir. You dared to break up that marriage between Abraham and Sarah by despising Sarah. You decided to become a rebel in Abraham's house and seek to take the place of his favored wife. I'm finished with you, Hagar. He could have done that. And God would have been justified if he had said that to Sarah, to Abraham, and Hagar. And God would have been right to have said that to Sarah, Abraham, and Hagar, that he was finished with them. God would have been justified to have cast off Sarah and Abraham and Hagar. But the amazing thing about God is that he didn't do that. And God is so amazing that he didn't cast off Sarah and Abraham and Hagar for what they did. And the fact that he didn't do that makes it all the more amazing that God did not cast off the Jewish people for what they did to him. As it says in Romans 11.1, I say then, has God cast away his people? God forbid. God did not cast away his people. And the fact that God did not cast away Sarah, Abraham, Hagar, and the Jewish people says a lot about God. It shows us what he says about himself in Exodus 34, 6, when he says, the Lord, God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. In Numbers 14, 18, the Lord is long-suffering. He suffers a long time with us. Great mercy, forgiving iniquity, transgression. Psalm 78, 38, he's full of compassion. He forgave their iniquity. He destroyed them not. Many a time turned he away his anger and did not stir up all his wrath. 
Psalm 103, 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. But there was something very important not to be overlooked about Sarah, Abraham, Hagar, and God's forgiveness, and it's given to us in Psalm 86, 5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. They called on God for help, and God said, okay, what kind of a mess have you gotten yourself into? Let me fix it. Return, Hagar. This is exactly what Micah spoke about, this amazing quality of God. There's a verse in the book of Micah that really gives, it's the verse of his namesake. It explains who it is because it says in Micah 7, 18, he says, who is God like unto thee? Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, passeth by a transgression of the remnant of his heritage, retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. And when Micah said, who is God, who is like, his name means, who is like Michael, like Michael, means who is like God. So when we consider that the mess they got themselves into and how God corrected them, we see ourselves and we say with Michael, who is like God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being so merciful and ready to forgive, Lord, not only Hagar and Abraham and Sarah, but us. We thank you for that, Lord, and we pray that we don't make you suffer so long. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. You're invited to Christmas Under the Stars at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, Saturday, December 12th from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Activities for the entire family, including a live nativity, caroling candlelit museum tours, ornament making, cookie decorating, star exploration, and a special Star of Bethlehem message by guest Paul Taylor. Join us for this family-free Christmas event at the Creation Museum, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org.